Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, if you would join me there. In these weeks leading up to the Christmas holiday, uh, we have been looking at one of the most uh, iconic scriptures that has to do with the, the Son of God, the Messiah, who would come to the earth. Last week, we started looking at the titles that this prophecy um, added to who this coming king would be. And uh, we, we looked last week at the incredible, amazing title that was given to Jesus. It's here in verse 6, Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to continue in that theme today, speaking about the child that was predicted to come. This scripture was written 700 years before Jesus was born. But it is filled with revelation about who Jesus would become and who he is to this day and why it has incredible, uh, profound meaning for our lives today. I want to uh, hold your finger there in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read it in just a moment. But I want you to think about uh, a year in the world history. The year was 1809. The world was experiencing turmoil. Napoleon was marching across Europe and conquering. During that same year, there was battles happening in other places around the world. In just a few years, the, the War of 1812 would break out here in America. There was turmoil. There were battles being fought all around the world. But 1809 is not a year that is remembered for battles. 1809 is a year, as we look back on it, is a year that is remembered for births. 1809, William Gladstone, born in Liverpool. Alfred Tennyson in Massachusetts. Felix Mendelssohn in Hamburg. And most famously, Kentucky. People who were born in that year, 1809, would change the world. We, we still benefit from the lives of those people. And I make that point today to remind you that some to baby than it is by a battle. And that is the feeling of the Scripture that we read today. In 700 B.C., when this Scripture was penned, the people of Israel were facing hostile enemies to the east. 
There was a nation called Assyria, which is modern-day Iraq, that was raiding and conquering and causing terror, and especially on Israel's north and eastern borders. When the Scripture says in here in chapter 9, it says that Naphtali and Zebulun were humbled. That's what it's talking about. It means that enemy forces have come and raided, pillaged, and done damage to the nation of Israel. And it is to that mentality, it is to those people, a nation under duress, a nation that's under attack, that these words are given. The prophet Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God and telling the people that 700 years before it happens, he says, don't worry guys, someone but a child. And in the scripture we're about to read, we will find out that this is no ordinary child and his name will be called Mighty God. Let's read these scriptures. Bloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed or heavily oppressed her by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his... For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle, garment. Here's why. For unto us a child is... A son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called One Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his... Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will perform this. Let's pray for just a moment. With humbled hearts, God, in the season that we come to celebrate into a world of chaos and into a world of darkness, Lord, we thank you for the light that has been sent into the world. We're praying, God, that we would fully understand which is in Jesus Christ, your only Son. We thank you this day. Bring your spirit. Amen. A child who is mighty God. There is hero, or when you think about a deliverer, or when you think about a mighty bee. But that's exactly what the feel of this scripture is. Who comes, and his name will be called Mighty God. You know, we live in a enamored with superheroes. It seems like a new superhero movie is coming out every few months, or Batman, or you know, all of these comic books are experiencing a revival because there is some people that we can look up to. And there is this hunger that we have to, to this answer in Star Wars or in Marvel. But we, very isn't send mighty Thor with a hammer. He sends a baby. Is beyond our expectations that when God wants to rescue the world, He sends some. You can't even change his own diapers the most vulnerable of all human beings self totally dependent on a couple of peasants for his very life isn't that incredible this morning that is what's so exciting about christmas describe the character of god remember what i said during the offering illustration that 
great. This is the truth. This is the one thing. When you start to live for God, you start to appreciate the things of God, you will understand that God loves doing this kind of thing. Blowing your mind, not with big things, but with the small things. When Elijah was there hiding in the cave in the mountain, and the Bible says that a mighty and there was a mighty earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And there was even a fire that... And then we know a still, small voice. Yes, God, we know that He is the God of uh, Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. But more often, God is the God of the still, small voice. The prayers, not with a shout, but with a whisper. Loves answering the prayers of his people in unexpected ways. In ways that cause us to. Before Isaiah was a prophet, there was another. Uh, uh, this is pretty common in Israel's history. That they're always being attacked by somebody, right? An enemy on the horizon. That's why we must be always on our guard, right? We always must be. So he read, there was, a, there was a little line in there that got my mind wondering. It's in verse the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in before. What happened in the day of Midian? What's that all about? Well, king in Israel, Judges chapter six, tells us a story about how Israel was under attack. And year after year, Midian would attack them using guerrilla warfare. And year after year, they would try to stop these Midianites, but they couldn't do it. Power to them. So do you know what they did? They cried out to God. Cry out to me, I will be there to hear your prayers. And the God that they destroyed, the God that they cried out to says, I'll give you a deliverer. Do you know who that deliverer When he looked at himself, Gideon thought to himself, I'm not a deliverer. In fact, there's an angel people from this wicked nation of Midian. And I'm going to raise up a great man of God to deliver me. Me? No, you can't do that, God. No, no, not the whole night. Fearing for his life after he got those news, that news. Giddy. Normal like you and me. And you know how the story goes that God's now, He's going to under the defeat the nation of Midian. And what starts is an army of that. Gideon looks at his huge army and says, we can take it, guys. And God says, wait, as they drink. Right? And you remember the story? And God, there's this particular way that God, and like a dog, he says, they're not going to fight. He says, y'all go home. And he says, if there's anybody, the time God gets done getting rid of all of these great and mighty warriors, guess how many's left? 120,000, only 300. <laughs> Just to make it fair. Whose hearts are on fire than he can with an army who's filled with congregations. I don't mind being a pastor of a, of a small church because I understand that there's power that is behind that phrase, mighty God. In uh, Hebrew, the words are El Gibor. Of course, we are familiar with the word El, uh, which is the noun in this phrase. And Gibor is an adjective which describes the noun. So we know that El is short for Elohim. Elohim, which is the most common name for God. See, you're reading your Bible and you see uh, the word Lord that's in all capital letters. Have you seen that? 
So that's the, that's the way that the Bible translators have chosen to express this very special and most common. literally means the mighty one. Elohim, the mighty one. Or the mighty ones because it's plural. <laughs> and can, I, can you guess what the word gibor means? It phrase, El Gibor, we could say, it is the mighty, mighty ones. The extra super mighty one. It is a phrase that sounds strange in Hebrew because it's repeating when it's probably not supposed to. And yet, it's his title. He will not only be a wonderful counselor, the one who gives us God. Listen, I see such a dangerous trend in our world today and in in Christian uh, circles. And that is a trend of people have lost the fear of the Lord. Do we truly treat Jesus as the mighty, mighty one? It was uh, some UFC. I don't follow the UFC, but, you know, I I saw a little clip of a guy. Man, these guys are massive and they're strong. And, you know, if you were standing next to a little bit of, oh, I need to watch how I act around this dude. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to say something to get on the wrong And, you know, we have that sense of, or, you know, some people, they they feel this way around a gun on their hip. You're like, whoa, I don't want to say anything to make them angry. You know, that we have for someone who has the power to destroy us. Well, can I tell you something? To cause you and I to vanish in a moment. Not only to bring life into existence, but to cause life to end. It's in God's purview. Treating God or treating Jesus as just, you know, just another country club, another membership. What do I get out of it, Pastor? Do you still fear the Lord, the one who could, the one under whose power the earth spins and stays in its orbit and move and have our being? In other words, Jesus is so instant out of the world, we would all collapse into chaos. In him, this thing is an independent human being. As much as we have, love our independence. But the truth is, there's not one independent person. Indeed, there's not one. And that's why somewhere in us, we should have a healthy and who Jesus is. He is the mighty, mighty one. Something so small. Something so tiny. And yet there he is, a mighty, mighty one. People are all excited about this new Star Wars. And the, the spoiler alert, you know, the whole uh, plot. And baby Yoda. So, I mean, uh, he's just this, maybe you've seen a picture online. He's just like a Yoda. Yoda that he's, they say that, you know, in the story that he is the most forced sensitive creature, you know, because... He could probably crush, it, crush your skull with the force, just like that if he wanted to. The baby in a manger. It reflects why three wise men traveled. Why angels sang songs and invited shepherds to join in. It explains why one... How many prophecies Jesus fulfilled... Ancient prophecies that had been given thousands. He didn't even have to do anything. But just by being conceived and then born, he fulfilled so many would come as the offspring of a woman. In other words, that he would not just 
descend from heaven like that he would be born of a virgin. That's Mary. In Psalm 2, verse 7, it says that he descended of Abraham. But not just any descendant of Abraham, from the line of Isaac. From Numbers 24, 17. But not just any uh, tribe of, of Israel. He, and not just anybody from the tribe of Judah, but he would come from the family of Jesse. Had seen him come. And then, not just anybody from Jesse's house, but from the house, house of David, that he would be born in a specific physical location. In Psalm 70. And by the way, Mary and Joseph, they had not lived in Bethlehem. They had to go back to Bethlehem for a few weeks while they took a... a, a, In Psalm 72, it says that he would be presented with gifts. And it also warned that there would be many other children being destroyed or killed. So there's, there's... Can you do that? 300 specific prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled one by one. And he, he uh, calculated the probability of one person fulfilled, fulfilled. And he describes it this way. If you took on the face of Texas, uh, no, if you took enough, and he says, now mark one of those silver dollars thick, Blindfold a man, tell him to walk as far as he will. Those are the same odds of one person by chance fulfilling every messianic prophecy. Perform miracles. Everywhere he went, he, he preached and healed people. And I close with this story that is so familiar in Matthew chapter 14 that reveals how powerful this baby became. And we know the story well, how... He sent out the disciples onto the water. And he is having an all-night prayer meeting. That he wanted to go meet his disciples out there. And that he didn't take a jet ski. But he began to walk on the water. In Matthew 14, when they said, it's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. Jesus spoke to them. He said, take courage. Can you just fathom for a moment what it would take? For Jesus to scribble out and edit the laws of physics temporarily. You know, like you can... Well, Jesus was changing the Wikipedia page on physics for that day. Holding him up. Or maybe there was a, there was a giant dolphin, you know, kind of following him. He was, he was freezing the water underneath his... I don't know how it worked. But here's what I do know. Lord, I believe. Curse splash. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you out on the water. Because Jesus said to Peter, come. And uh, he never said to you, come out on the water. Whatever trick Jesus was pulling, he pulled it for Peter too. And we know this. And to sink, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. That an itinerant preacher teacher, someone walking around from place on water and causing others to do the same. We know that it didn't stop there. Ultimately, he went to the cross, but he conquered death. You can't do that. He conquered death and hell and the grave. Well, the point I want to leave you with this morning is that this mighty God, this mighty God asks 
for a response. He asked for a response. And that is so well illustrated in that story as he walked on the water. The response is this. Come out of the boat. See, the, the, the worries, the, uh, the difficulties that we face, you know, we don't have an invading army that's coming against our nation. At least not right now. We, uh, we are not like Peter and the disciples in the boat about to sink. But there are various things that you all are going through and I'm going through. And to us it feels like we're about to die. Right? Have you ever been there? Maybe financially, there's a stress. There's a bill that, that how is this ever going to get resolved? There's a health problem. An argument. There's a misunderstanding. There's a thousand things that, listen, we look at them and we say, how could this ever, ever get worked out? Jesus, the Bible says that he's out there walking on the water. His disciples, as they are fearing for their lives, the very thing they're afraid of is the sea, the sea which would have consumed other boats, other people that they knew of. They were fishermen. They had watched people go out to sea and never come back because of a storm. That's why they were afraid. But there is Jesus. He's standing on top of the thing that they fear the most. And let me just remind you this morning that he still does that. Whatever issue, whatever family problem, whatever difficulty, whatever uh, financial issue, whatever mental disorder, whatever addiction, can I tell you, Jesus still stands on top of it. He says, come out of the boat. And that's where we get involved. And that's my call to action today. If Isaiah was right, God, and if it is that he still asks us to step out of the boat, That is the exercise of faith that every one of us must be challenged to. See, as Jesus arrived for a response of faith, everything that he did led us to this decision. Believe in me. Trust in me. You remember doubting Thomas. I'll not believe until I put my hand in the prince. Until I feel his side. And you put your finger right here. Put your hand, feel my wounds. It's been for us to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. In the book. He is mighty God. And he is here, but only one got out and walked on water. Enough to step out of the comfort zone and trust. I want to challenge you this morning to be the one who trusts him enough. So beckon me out on the water. Let's close in his God. His spirit begins to speak to us, challenge us. If he truly is the mighty, mighty one that he claims to be, this is what we are celebrating in this Christmas season. It is the arrival of the Son of God, not just to the world, but into our own lives. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down 
to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.